0: Listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas, with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Uh, we're gonna look at Psalm 63 today. So if you want, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Psalm 63. Uh, I If I look on my phone at it, I get distracted. If you're able to do it, great, but we're going to have all the verses on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, no worries at all. I I don't know what your experience has been this summer, but for me, summer is like so chaotic. Like the summer months, they unwind all of my normal rhythms, and I end up, like just a couple of examples, I think I slept at my wife and I slept at our house for like five nights in the month of June. And uh, you know, there's just so much that goes on this summer. School is out. Students are out. Trips are happening. Mission trips. Uh, family vacations. Time spent away from our normal routines at work. Internships. New relationships. There's just a lot going on. The same is true of church. Like it's true of church here. Church feels different in the summer. There's a different group of people. There's a different rhythm to how we do things. Uh, We don't have our community gatherings in the midweek. We don't have our prayer and worship gatherings in the month. Like all of our normal rhythms kind of get thrown out. And as a result, that goes a lot further and a lot deeper into my life than I'd probably like to think. Like those rhythms being thrown out of whack end up affecting me at a very deep level. It goes deeper than just my workout schedule or my social calendar or my daily routine. It affects every part of my day and particularly, particularly the way that I seek the Lord, or as the Psalms would say, how I seek the face of God. So today, I just wanted to share what I thought would be most applicable in my life right now. Sounds a little selfish, I recognize. But I just think that I, there may be more than just myself, who feels a little bit thrown out of sorts in the middle of the summer and could just use some practical advice on what it looks like to seek the Lord. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to use Psalm 63 as a rubric. And I just want to go through and follow how David does this. And at the end of the day, that's why we gather as a church. Like, we don't gather. I love what Dirk said even in his prayer. Like, we're not here to put on some sort of a show. We're here to be a community of people who spend time with one another and who look to the word of God to show us how to do life. That's what the early church did when they gathered. that's why we talk so much about being a community. Because we don't want to just be a place where one person is saying, this is how you do it. We're a place where a community of people look to the word of God to inform how should we live our life. And that's what we're going to do today. So before we go any further, we're going to dissect Psalm 63. We're almost going to go verse by verse. But I just want to ask, we're talking about seeking the Lord. What does seek mean to you? Like, what is a synonym for seek? When you hear that word, what's another word? Feel free to just yell them out. Look, Look search. pursue, search. Those are great. And that's it. That's awesome. Look, pursue, search. I like it. Uh, I think the word seek is interesting. I, I had never like really thought about it. But as I was just processing through, OK, we're in a psalm series. Um, this is what I feel like the Lord's kind of prompting me in. I realized, man, if you spend much time in the psalms, it talks about seeking a lot. Uh, in fact, I did a little research. And over 30 psalms talk about simply the idea of seeking the Lord. Uh, beyond that, uh, the word bequash, is the Hebrew word for seek. Say "Bakwash." Bakwash. What a fun word. Uh, In the entirety of the the Bible, seek is used 244 times. So it's clearly uh, a very prominent piece of what is in this scripture. So I just want to read a few references of where we see the word seek. This is Psalm 24, five and six. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Psalm 27, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Psalm 3410, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 105, glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, rejoice. Look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Proverbs 28, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Luke 11, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. In 1 Chronicles 16, let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Before we talk about the why and the how of seek, why we should seek the Lord, how we should seek the Lord, I want to ask the question: What does it mean to seek the face of God? Like I feel like a lot of times in in Christian settings, we're we're in a worship moment, and I I've probably like been the worst person about this, but we're in a we're in a worship moment, we're in the environment, and we use language that in the moment feels so powerful. Seek the face of God, but then I get home and I'm opening my Bible. And I'm distracted, and I'm trying to go, Okay, how do I do this thing? And I think, seek the face of God. And I'm like, I don't have any idea what that even entails. Like, what does that even mean? So I think for our study today, as we look at Psalm 63, the way I'd like to define it, uh, in Hebrew, uh, face can be synonymously translated as presence, So when we're talking about seeking the face of God or seeking God, we're talking about seeking God's presence. And when we see, what we see from all these verses, we just read like 10 different references of where we see seek. What we see is that the scripture tells us when we should seek. And it says, at all times, continually, In the good moments of life, the high moments of life, the mountaintops, in the bad moments of life, the valleys of life, in the morning and in the evening, in the desert and in the garden, with joy, with praise, with peace, with thanksgiving. So we're going to look at Psalm 63 to understand how do we seek God. And it's a good source. It's a good place to look because it was written by King David, whose scripture tells us he was the man after God's own heart, the man who pursued God's heart. So he knew what pursuit of God meant. Plus, David really got to know the highs and lows of life. Uh, when I'm reminded of David's story, it's it's chaos. Like the, the story arc is nuts. Just a quick refresh. Uh, he began as a wee boy, a child. He was anointed as king at a young age. He goes into battle and he kills a giant with a slingshot His best friend's dad becomes so jealous of him that he tries to kill him to the point that he's killing anybody that's helped him at all. He ends up becoming king, reigning. He then commits adultery and murder in that order. His son then tries to kill him and chases him out of his kingdom. He's exiled for a while. He comes back. He ends his life having reigned in Israel for 40 years, and he hands his kingdom over to his son. Okay, I I I can know that. I can read it. But sometimes, for me, it feels so far off and ancient that it's, I have a hard time even like, I have no concept for what that means to reign as a king. So here, here is me trying to put that into our generation's terms. Okay, uh, That would be like maybe you, at 15 years old, are working at a Sonic. You've got the, the rollerblades on. You've got a great outfit. You do 180s while you bring slushies to people's cars. It's wonderful. <laughs> Some old guy with a big beard and a cane comes up and tells you that you're going to be president one day. Feeling good about that. Then you get super famous on TikTok because of your dog, Goliath. Your best friend's dad gets super jealous of how famous you are on TikTok. He tries to kill you. He literally tries to kill you. And then you become the youngest president ever at 30. And that's just the first half of your life. Like that is the experience that we're talking about. So the reason I say that is he experienced highs and lows. And what do we see in David's life? He was the man after God's own heart, not dependent on his experience. His pursuit of God was not dependent on his circumstances. His pursuit of God was continual, fervent. That's what we're going to see in Psalm 63. And so that's why I want to look to him to lead us in this search. Uh, Psalm 63, a little history. It was written while... Absalom, his son, was trying to kill David. So David's the king. His son comes up, is like, I'm going to take the throne, tries to kill him. David goes on the run. He's outside of the kingdom. This is when Psalm 63 is written. So we're going to read it aloud together all the way through. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Let's read it with authority, out loud. The translation is going to be on the screen. Read it alongside me. Here we go. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods." With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. So here's what I want to do today with with my little bit of time. I want to look at Psalm 63, and I want to try to learn three things from it. The first is, what does it mean to seek after God, or to seek the face of God, or to seek God's presence? The second is, how do we do it? How do you seek the Lord? And the third is, what are the results of seeking after God? And this is going to be fairly simple. Like, we're looking for simple application for how we ought to live our life. And my context is I'm in the middle of a chaotic season. Life has derailed my rhythms. And I just want to be reminded of what does it look like to pursue the Lord. So let's begin there. What does it mean to seek after God? We've already defined seek as to pursue, to chase after something, to prioritize it. So let's look to verse 1. Psalm 63, 1. You, God, are my God earnestly I seek you, my God, my God. It's clear that David knew God personally. He didn't say, you are the God. You are a God. You are God. He said, you are my God. He knew him not from a distance, but closely. And this requires so much more than introductory knowledge. Like the depth of a relationship that requires that personal touch is more than just, oh, hey, uh, God, uh, what, what do you do for work? Creator. Oh, OK. Great. Creator. Any kids? Do you have any kids? Uh, Jesus. One kid. Great. One kid. Uh, hobbies? You do anything for fun? Raining on high. Great. OK. We have nothing in common. Like the, the kind of relationship that David had with the Lord is clearly so much deeper than just a surface level relationship. And this is not all that different from what we experience in human relationships. It's easy to get a first date. OK. Maybe not easy. I don't want to incur any hatred. But, but the first date is pretty straightforward, is what I'm trying to say. I simply mean that introductory period, it's simple, right? You meet. You learn facts about one another. You may even go so far as to know really oddly specific things about somebody, like why they won't use a public bathroom, or the fact that every time their mom leaves them a voicemail, it starts with, hey, boo-boo. This isn't from personal experience or anything the point I'm trying to make is that you can know things about somebody, and you can know even like really specific odd things about somebody, but it doesn't mean there's a depth of relationship there. That depth of relationship takes more time than a couple of hinge dates or coffee shop hangs, and it takes pursuing time together, not just in group settings, but in intimate one-on-one moments. This is the kind of relationship David is talking about. His desire and pursuit of the Lord is fervent, Back to Psalm 63, back to verse one. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, earnestly, ardently, diligently with his entire being, David is intentional and constant in his pursuit of God. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. Come near to the holy men and women of the past, and you will soon feel the heat of their desire after God. They mourned for him. They prayed and wrestled and sought for him day and night and season and out. And when they had found him, the finding was all the sweeter for the long seeking. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. So what does it mean to seek after God? It means to constantly and intently pursue a deep relationship with him, to desire to know more of God with each passing day. And just a reminder, like David is writing this in the middle of having fled his kingdom. He isn't saying, please, God, give me my family back. Give me my money back. Give me my house back, my security back. He's simply beginning by saying, in all circumstances, I seek you. I need you. So if seeking God is the pursuit of knowing him more and deepening our relationship with him, how do we do it? How do we seek the face of God? Let's look back to Psalm 63 to inform us. This is verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. What do we see in verse 2? David's perspective, his view of God was massive. Massive. What do I mean? I've seen you. I've beheld your power and your glory. He understood the majesty and the scope of God, how amazing the divine was. His experience of God's love was so great that he defines it as to know your love is better than life itself. What do we see here? That our view of God determines our response to God. TA used to say that all the time. And that always helped me. And what are we trying to do so much in these moments? We're trying to broaden our scope to see God for who he really is. How do we do that? How do we get a larger perspective of him? Well, first let me say this. It begins by being reminded of God's love, his character, and his beauty every day. Why every day? Because we are dreadfully distracted people. And complacency lures us every single minute. In order to seek God, we have to know him. And we have to have a massive view of who he is. So it begins by fighting to see him, to see God, and to see him rightly. This view of God, it's what gives us spiritual sight. It's what fuels our faith. What does he say? Because of your love, I'll glorify you. I'll praise you. I'll lift my hands to you. I'll be satisfied. I'll sing to you. So how do we seek him? It begins by having the right view of him, to see him rightly. How do we see him in that way? Three things I think we can look to. One, we look to God's word. It's it's our primary way in. It is the authoritative word of God that has been given to us to help us understand. 2 Timothy 3:16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This is the primary source. Kevin talked about it 2 or 3 weeks ago that we spend so much time looking to secondary sources and secondary authorities which can be helpful. But if we don't first spend the time with God's word to understand who he is, to be informed by it, we're going to miss it. This is the primary thing. This is the first way that we can have access to know who he is. What does that give us? Where does it take us? To number two. It helps us to be informed by his character, to understand who he is, to marvel and wonder at his beauty. This is what's going to help us to see that. God is beautiful. He is the definition of all that is desirable. It's objectively true. This kind of beauty is not defined by what we see in him, but rather by how much we see of him. This is not a beauty in the eye of the beholder moment. This is beauty is defined by this one moment. Does that make sense? Like it is not what we experience in relationships where we, we see somebody and we're attracted to them, like, man, they are beautiful to me. This is This is the definition of beauty. So we get our eyes on it, and we try to see as much of it as possible. That's how we get informed by his character. David prays this often. Psalm 63 is a reminder. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and glory. He asked so much in the Psalms that God would show him his glory. This has to be our prayer too. Show me God. Teach me God. Inform my view of you. What is the third way? So the first way was we look to God's word. That's how we see him. The second way is we get informed by his character. We get our eyes on his beauty. The third way, we spend time in his presence. Psalm 27, we read it earlier as an example. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. David wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He wanted to see as much of God as possible with as little distraction as possible and spend all his time with the Lord. We should desire the same thing. And I want to be careful about our understanding of the intensity with which God is asking us to pursue him. Because it has to be more than just sheer time spent with somebody. Um, We've all spent a lot of time with somebody before, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, If you haven't, thank you. If we haven't, you're lying to me because we all lived through 2020, Okay. (laughs) We spent an enormous, I mean, just an unbelievable amount of time with maybe a spouse or a roommate or a friend or family. Uh, You could read a lot of time as too much time in some cases. We spent a lot of time with people. And Rachel and I spent, just like many of you, so much time together in those couple of months, right? There was nowhere to go. There was nowhere to be. Everything was shut down. We were both working full time from home. And so we spent hours and hours and hours each day just sitting you know, this far away from each other at a dining room table, both working, spending tons of time together. But there was a huge difference between the hours of time we spent sitting just this far from each other and the moments where one of us would say, hey, Jack, hey, Rachel, and we would look each other in the face. And we would focus on one another and speak purposefully to each other. Two very different kinds of nearness. There's nearness by proximity, and then there's nearness by intensity. There's a reason we're talking to one another. There's an intent with which we're talking to one another. There's a focus on one another. This is this is true with our relationship with God. We can get into rooms like this one with him. Uh, to show up to church. We can attend community. We can listen to an informative podcast on predestination versus free will or pre-trib versus post-trib or whatever you're into. But the proximity is very different from actively turning our gaze to see him. This is the kind of pursuit David is talking about. He's not talking about just getting in the right spaces. He's not talking about just getting near. I mean, God is near to all of us. He's promised that. He's talking about fixing our eyes on him, focusing on him intently, seeing him for who he is by looking at his word, by drawing close, by being informed by his character, by seeking to be in his presence. And as a result, we build that relationship by communication. Same is true in our lives. Where, where does he talk about this? In Psalm 63.8, he says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. You can sense the nearness and the intensity with which David pursues the Lord. We're talking about spending time in God's presence where the nearness is defined by the intent and the intensity of our time together. So how do we seek? We continually and intentionally go after the Lord by getting a broader view of who God is. How do we do this? We look to God's word. We marvel at his character. We wonder at his beauty. We spend time in his presence. Practically speaking, how do we do that? Like, we can hear all that and be like, okay, great. Those all sound like good things to do. How do we do that? Um, I think there's a lot that we could go into, but, but for this context, I think what's helpful is I think there are two kind of big areas, uh, big like buckets of ways that we, we do this towards the Lord. One is with structure and one is with spontaneity. Our tendency is to lean one way or the other. I'm a devotional guy. I get in this one place. I have this one space. I do only Beth Moore devotionals. That would be weird. But uh, I use a number two pen, uh, preferably a yellow highlighter. I order a Cortado. If they bring me a flat white, I send it back. (laughs) That's one way of doing it, right? Structure, 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 structure. There's another way. You may hear that and be like, that's not me. This might be you. You want the moment. You want to feel something. You want God's spirit to break out in a moment that just feels like nothing you felt before. And you seek after that moment. Uh, Maybe it's in a specific context. Maybe there's some flag waving going on. Uh, Maybe there's Bethel or Jesus culture playing. If it's Hillsong, I send it back, right? (laughs) There's specific ways that we try to do this. And I think that based on our personality, we're drawn one way or the other. And and what I see in the life of David is that we need to be open-handed to both. It takes structure. It takes continually seeking God, daily seeking Him, in the mundane seeking Him. But it also takes being open for the presence and the Spirit of God to do something in a moment. And when you experience that, to lean into it. So practically, as we try to see Him, to have a view of Him that's big, So we look to God's word. We marvel at his character. We spend time in his presence. We practice both being open to the spontaneity, the moments where God meets us in a place that we didn't expect, and the structure, being willing to have a discipline for how we pursue God. We need both in our lives in order to experience him to the fullest and delight in him. That's how we'll be able to continuously pursue him. All right, we're coming to a close. Coming in. What are the results of seeking after God? So if we're able to do this, like what does this do? If to seek God is to pursue him, and the pursuit of God leads to seeing him, which produces faith, what are the results of this faith? So we've gone after him. We've spent time with him. We've we've gotten a broader view of him. We've continued to come before him, to draw near to him, to get our eyes on him, to look to his word, to inform him, to understand his character. We've spent time in his presence. As a result, our faith has risen. Let's look to Psalm 63. This is 9 through 11 as we close. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. David is in the midst of a trial. You could say it's a valley, a desert. I think he was quite literally in the desert His son is literally trying to kill him. He's exiled without his family, and yet what is his response? But the king will rejoice in God. Rejoice in the midst of the uncertainty, of the valley, of the desert, of the loneliness. He can rejoice in God. Not after he's been delivered, not during his deliverance, not after asking for help. He can rejoice simply in who God is because he knows him. How is that possible? Because David has pursued God. His sight has given him faith. And that faith is sustaining him in the middle of the storm. He has pursued God not for what he can get from God, but simply because of who he is, his word, his character, and his presence. In the smooth seasons of life, what do we see David doing? David has sought God, and as a result, His relationship has been deepened with God and he's been prepared for the hard times in life. I believe this is how you build a greater confidence in God. You pursue him. You get your eyes on his word. You meditate on his character. You spend time with his people in his church. You behold him and you worship him. This is how you endure the hard times in life. This is how you don't hit the eject button. This is how you deconstruct your faith and have the stamina to build it back up. Now, I want to be clear. I'm painting with a pretty broad brush here. And I'm really not trying to be overly simplistic. I am painfully aware of how deep the trauma of life can run and how specific and nuanced it can be in situations. And we all have a different experience with that, a vastly different experience. I have my own experience. I'd love to tell you about it another time. but. There are times in life, and my experience has been, in those deepest, darkest seasons, sometimes faith is all you have in those moments. And like Ryan prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, this is the posture we take. And when we have done the work of pursuing God, I've seen it happen in my life, where it prepares us to have the faith to walk through that season. When you're pursuing God, and you just can't seem to see him or experience him, Faith is what's going to hold you fast. This is what David's life was marked by. I found it to be true in my own life. And the miraculous part of all this, like the the craziest piece of what we experience in knowing God, is that we get to see that God is bequashing you. He's pursuing you. He's coming after you. He's seeking you. He's chasing you down. It's the story of the gospel. That's what we celebrate every week as we sing and respond to the life of Jesus. Romans 5 is such an amazing declaration of it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we had cleaned ourselves up, not after we had positioned ourselves just right, not after we had figured it all out, not after we had a plan for what was going to happen next. While we were still sinners, Christ died. He sought us. He is continually seeking us. That's how great God's love is for you. It's why David can say in Psalm 63, your love, to know your love is better than life itself. That's his experience with the love of the Father. And we have the opportunity to actually have a relationship with Jesus, the Son of God, who now embodies that love. That's what the cross is all about. God's great story of love and redemption for his people. Jesus took our penalty when he died on the cross. He conquered death when he rose from the grave. It's the greatest display of love the world has ever seen. It's the greatest example of seeking and pursuit. This God, my God, he loves you. That's what we see in scripture. He is pursuing you. This Jesus, he desires a relationship with you. All we have to do is put our faith in him to trust in him, not to have it all figured out, not to have every answer to every theological debate, but to earnestly seek him, to pursue him, to ask that he would meet us in those moments, to ask him to give us faith. That's all we have to do. And then we begin to practice. We practice in the spontaneous. We practice in our schedule. We practice by looking to his word. We practice by seeking his presence. We inform ourselves of his character. We inform ourselves of his beauty. And then we do it continually. We do it fervently. We do it diligently. I want us to consider what our pursuit of God looks like and how we could take a step towards David, take a step towards how we see David pursuing God in Psalm 63. This is what I've been challenging myself with. As I've been in this chaotic summer, my rhythms are thrown off, confession, I'm more of the schedule guy. I lean that way. I'm challenging myself to be more open-handed with how I interact with the Lord, how I see Him. And I want to be somebody who, no matter what life is throwing at me, that I'm seeking the Lord, no matter what my experience is in this season, that I'm seeking the Lord. How can we do this like Psalm 63 leads us? By seeking God intentionally and continually, by looking to His Word, by wondering at His character, by spending time in His presence. As a result, what do we see? We can worship. We rejoice, despite our circumstances, and we build confidence in God to weather the storm. That's what's available to us. The God who has been seeking us from the very beginning, he's calling. He just wants us to to turn and have a relationship with him, to put in the work to see his face, to know more of who he is. He's promised he'll meet us in those moments. So as I close. I just want to give you two minutes, maybe. We're just going to sit. Pads are playing. Just to take a moment and just to ask the Lord, is there there anything in my life? Is there anything in the way that I'm pursuing you that you're speaking to me that I, I need to adjust? Is there something that I need to take a step towards? Do I simply need to tell God that I desire to seek him? Help me, Lord process anything that God's pu- pulling at you right now. And maybe for you, for the first time, like you're, you see the beauty of the gospel. God's love is chasing after you. He cares deeply for you. He wants a relationship with you. And all he's asking you to do is to surrender to him. To just simply say, Lord, I don't have it figured out, but I believe that you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. You have been seeking me my whole life. You sought me to the depths of the cross. You died for me. You were buried and you rose again. You've ascended, and I trust you with my life. That's a beautiful way to respond. Take just a moment. Ask the Lord, process with the Lord, how can I seek you? How can I know you? How can I be diligent and intentional, continual in the way that I go after you? And then we're going to respond in worship, which is the right way to respond. Psalm 63, I'll lift up my hands, I'll be fully satisfied. My lips will glorify you, will glorify you. You are my help, I will praise you. That will be our response today. Take a moment, respond to the Lord and then we'll sing together. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church Podcast.